combating some of the most common, destructive, and potentially fatal mishaps involving business aircraft. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Runway excursions remain a lingering problem in business aviation, even as the industry continues to make progress on enhancing safety overall. Having an aircraft depart the runway surface in a manner and or position not intended can lead to significant damage and injury, and even fatal consequences for those on board. NBAA has led efforts to educate the business aviation community on how to mitigate the risks of runway excursions, and that includes an upcoming resource to be published later this year by the NBAA Safety Committee. Joining me today to discuss this new resource and the situations that most commonly contribute to runway excursions are committee members Mike Thomas and Marty Plumley. Marty is SMS Manager and Aviation Safety Technical Lead for Boeing Digital Solutions and Analytics, while Mike is the Captain and Aviation Safety Manager for a Fortune 500 flight operation. Mike, I've worked around business aviation more than 15 years now, and it seems that every year there's been at least a couple of serious runway excursion accidents. How many accidents and incidents involving runway excursions occur in our industry annually, and have we seen that number trending for the better or worse? If you plug in search criteria that accounts for most business aviation aircraft, such as you know more than one engine, uh, whether it be RESIP or a turbojet, uh, into the NTSB database. From 2016 in October to the present day, uh, we see about 58 accidents where runway excursion was listed as the event type. The Flight Safety Foundation estimate put the number between about 25 to 30 runway excursions per year, which really hasn't changed much in the last 14 years. Due to factors that we'll touch on later, winter months seem to yield the, the higher numbers of excursions for sure. There were five accidents in January of 2020 alone. But overall, the, the BizAv excursion accident rate has been unchanged over the last decade. And to me, uh, on the safety side, that just means there's still a lot, of, a lot of work that needs to be done. And uh, why runaway excursions you know, remain one of the NBAA Safety Committee's top safety focus areas. Is the picture any different for runway excursions involving commercial airliners, Marty? In my work on this topic, looking at both business aviation and commercial aviation, we've seen that this has been going on for the best part of two decades now and has remained static and, and looking at different ways that we can effectively get that number to go down or aid air crews on how they can identify conditions that are going to lead to runway excursions. And particularly worldwide is what my research has shown is that, yeah, the winter months are definitely where we see the most runway excursions and the most problems. And to that point, Marty, what are some of the common scenarios in which we see runway excursions most often occur? Well, particularly on landing, what I've looked at is runway conditions and crew attention to detail in those different conditions. And it's what I've noticed is that particularly in, in winter months or in rainy monsoonal conditions is where we seem to have those points where either... Air crews do not have all the information they need. They're not considering all the information they need and its effect on the aircraft and what that's going to do with the energy that's on the airplane on landing and how they counteract that and best mitigate the risks and hazards that are involved in it, particularly in snowy, icy conditions. What do we got to do? How do, how do we handle the landing differently? Do we land Closer to the numbers, do we uh, increase our landing distance? What do we need to do checklist-wise? How can we improve checklists? 
and how can we work better in crew coordination to mitigate the risks and hazards that are involved in those conditions. Mike, I imagine most of those scenarios come into play with runway excursions that occur on takeoff as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean, not not quite as common as uh, landing excursions. I think one industry leader, Flight Safety Foundation, noted that landing excursions exceed takeoffs and excursions by a ratio of about four to one or so, but they still do happen, obviously. And to Marty's point, a lot of them uh, are centered around wet or contaminated runways. You know, I fell victim to the trap that excursions or runway contamination only happens in the cold winter months. Certainly, that's a higher driver of it. But certainly, as we've seen with accidents in the past, they could be driven by a heavy rain shower, you know, monsoon, like Marty called it, right, right before uh, the aircraft departs or, or arrives in the terminal area. So we're seeing definitely some weather impacts there. A lot of the times we're, we're breaking them down into common factors such as a crew attempting to reject a takeoff above V1 or you know, execute a late abort because of a mechanical problem like a blown tire. Overall, we're kind of guiding crews and, and trying to follow the guidance that if you're going to abort, abort early before the aircraft has the chance to build that kind of energy on the takeoff run. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, this word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, this episode is only one way to get the latest in business aviation. Check out mbaa.org slash insider for the latest. It's that easy. We're back now with Mike Thomas and Marty Plumley, members of the NBAA Safety Committee, which is working on a new resource for business aviation operators to combat the rate of runway excursion incidents across our industry. So, Mike, given that there are so many different factors that can lead to a runway excursion, how can we train business aviation flight crews to better respond to them? Overall, for both takeoff and landing excursions, I think one of the best things that we can do is develop, train, and adhere to standard operating procedures. And there's tons of guidance out there. If your manufacturer does not have SOPs, then you can certainly develop them yourself. And that will will help hopefully move the needle on both takeoff and landing excursions. And then you need to revisit them occasionally just to make sure that they're still being followed and that they're still effective. But overall, I think in addition to that, runaway excursion avoidance begins well before the flight. From the day that you get that trip on the schedule or the request on the schedule, take a look at the airports that you plan to use for both favorable and unfavorable weather well ahead of time. Check the performance numbers for, for dry, wet, and contaminated well ahead of time. Let your passengers know which conditions might force a divert to an alternate airport and give them the options because decisions made really late in the game have a higher probability of that unfavorable outcome. Marty? Well, from a training and operational perspective uh, is what comes to mind to me. And to reinforce one thing that Mike said, making your decisions early. For instance, if you're going to abort a takeoff, make it early. The same thing applies in a landing situation. If you're going to go around, make that decision early. But from a training perspective is what I would also add, and an SMS perspective as well, is that we need to encourage business aviation flight departments to have and instill a culture where go-arounds are not a bad thing. If we decide to do it, we need to do it. Let's, Let's make that decision. Let's talk about it in our briefing. What conditions would necessitate us having to go around if we see something we don't like about the runway or we get an unexpected set of weather conditions, then and we need to do it, let's make the decision and let's encourage people to make that decision and allow them as the commander of the airplane to make that decision to go around rather than make it an adverse decision. 
And the same thing that goes with diverting. Let's discuss those conditions early. What is going to require us to divert and go to our alternate and consider, as Mike said, all of those conditions beforehand, wet, dry, contaminated runway and so forth, and know what we're going to do before we get there. I understand the upcoming runway excursion resource being developed by the NBAA Safety Committee examines not only how to properly respond to the external factors that can lead to a runway excursion, but also about enhancing the mindset with which flight crews approach each takeoff and landing. Marty, please tell us a bit more about that. What we've worked on as a uh, runway excursion team is developing resources that can go out to the operators in the form of informational pamphlets, items such as this podcast and other instruments that we can give them to provide suggestions, techniques, possible procedures and processes that can help them educate and train air crew on the risks and hazards of runway excursions and enhance everybody's knowledge within the industry of how we can crack this nut and reduce the number of runway excursions. Mike, what are the key differences with this new resource compared to NBAA's previous guidance on this subject? All the previous guidance, Rob, still uh, applies, and uh, people like Ben Kohler and uh, Dr. Dan Bodeheimer uh, have already done a huge amount of research into the topic. We just made sure to incorporate the latest guidance from the FAA, uh, specifically Advisory Circular 91-79 Alpha, and I think there's two changes associated with that uh, in recent years, as well as some of the runway condition code terminology, our runway condition assessment matrix, and the takeoff and landing performance assessment guidance uh, that we've seen come out. And we've we've try to put it into a, a one-page quick reference guide that can be, you know, laminated, put in the side of a, a flight deck pocket and referenced uh, whether you're operating as a crew or as a single pilot operator. All of these factors and, and discussions would really apply. And I got to give a shout out to our, our standards captain and our department who really forced, look, I know it's easy to, to get in the airplane and say, you know, we're going to do the standard brief today, standard takeoff, briefing applies, but really make a deeper dive into what makes this flight different. What are the differences that we need to be aware of and address today that we might not see when we say this will be a standard brief? And I think that we'll find a, you know, some of those factors, whether we're thinking about them or not, uh, are present and uh, can really potentially adversely affect our takeoff and landing performance calculations. That new resource will be available in the coming weeks from the NBAA Safety Committee. Ahead of its release, Mike, what additional tips would you like to share with operators to avoid runway excursions? You definitely want to have your standard operating procedures uh, in place and then make sure you're following your unstabilized or stabilized approach criteria, as it were, so that if you don't hit those gates along your approach, whether it be preferably further out or, uh, let's say, at a minimum altitude of three or 500 feet, then you've briefed that as a crew and the decision is essentially already made for you because you haven't met those parameters and therefore go around should just be uh, second nature at that point. And to Marty's point, if you really have a, a strong, robust SMS, you'll have backing from your accountable executive that definitely if those criteria are not met, then a go around will never be questioned. Well, like Mike just said, one of my big items is it begins way ahead of time. When you're on a star, when you're on an approach procedure and you want to follow whatever SOPs your company has and get way ahead of the airplane and be on a stabilized approach and do not press a bad situation. Know what your criteria and your SOP is for your stabilized approach. 
make those numbers, hit your marks. If you're not hitting the marks and you can't fix it, go around and make sure that you, number one, are following your SOP because those are standards that have been proven time and again. I would like to to add on, and I've hit on it somewhat, a pet thing of mine is organizational culture and how the organization trains, processes, and promotes the idea of following, number one, it's SOP, because those numbers are something that should be ingrained in any flight department because they've been developed over time from other people's knowledge, other people's mishaps, and we need to ensure that the flight departments encourage, one, that people are prone to make mistakes. We're only human. But learn from your mistakes. If you do something, let's talk about it. Let's figure out why it went wrong. And then we're not going to do it again. To me, that is one of the number one things of leadership in flight departments. And that can help us crack this nut on runway excursions, ensuring that people plan early, that we follow our SOP, and we admit that we make mistakes. Yeah, just dovetailing from what Marty said, you don't have to have the word safety in your uh, job title in order to be considered a safety leader. So I think every time we go out there, regardless of our position in the operation, we can really capitalize on opportunities to show that we're not only talking the talk, but walking the walk and be a good example for the people that are looking up to us, whether we realize it or not, complying with procedures and SOPs and doing the right thing, even when we think no one's watching. Additionally, I'm huge on the training side of it. There are a lot of scenarios uh, lately in in my past as we're emerging out the backside of the pandemic here. We might be current, but maybe not quite as proficient as we were uh, before the start of the pandemic. So really take the opportunity to train some of these abnormal scenarios in the simulator. There's uh, been a lot of studies of human factors that suggest that we don't rise to the occasion in an abnormality. We fall back on our training. So train, 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 talk to your training manager, uh, talk to your training providers to get into a simulator and incorporate some of these scenarios. And if you don't train in a simulator, then there's a lot of advanced airmanship courses out there to become familiar with takeoff and landing performance planning. We never go out to the airplane with the intention that we're going to end up in an accident or an incident. We certainly don't, you know, close the cockpit door, flight deck door you know, saying, I feel really unsafe today. We just really need to keep our guard up about little things like that that can make such a big difference and end up in, you know, millions of dollars worth of damage and and untold lives, you know, in the last decades. There's only so many different ways that we can invent to, to wreck airplanes. And unfortunately, we seem to be following the same patterns and not learning from experience. So hopefully, you know, the resources like this and others getting them out there really raise people's awareness about issues like this. Look for NBAA's new Runway Excursion resource coming soon. And for more information about runway excursions and other safety-related matters related to runway operations, visit nbaa.org slash runway safety. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.